What's up, guys? Uh, welcome to another episode of First with Foremost. Um, I'm Dustin once again. We got Andrew here with us. Hey, guys. Today we have Ben Hall, uh, producer and audio engineer. What's up, Ben? Hey, guys. What's up? Thanks for having me on. No problem. I'm excited. Thanks for coming, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, excited to have you here, man. Um, your Your world of of production and engineering is super intriguing to me. I'm like a, a gearhead and like super into that stuff, but also like, uh, it feels like learning another language to me. Like I sit down and try it and I'm just like <laughs> immediately frustrated all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, so. it really is. And you know, honestly, I could tell that you were a gearhead too from seeing <laughs> you guys at your last gig. Cause you know, not, not trashing punk, the punk genre in any way, but, I don't, I don't expect a lot of punk bass players to have as well thought out tone and pedals selected as like as you do. And I was yeah, thanks, man. And it definitely stood out to me when I when I watched you guys because I was like, that has a really kick ass bass tone. I dig yeah, it. Yeah, thanks, man. Hell yeah. Well, it's it, dude, it's fun. Like you know, a one guitar, one bass drummer band. You know, it's like there's a lot of space to fill, man. Yep. And um you know, like there's a lot of different ways to go at it, I guess. Like you could, you could just noodle the fuck away, you know, and just play a bunch of shit, which is cool. But that's like, I don't know. I've always appreciated those bass players and like learned, you know, as much as I could from them. But like, I don't know, for whatever reason, that's just like never been my thing. Like, yeah, I've always been like, nah, like I just want to lay back and do my job and like be tasteful when it, when it needs it. But yeah. like, let's use like sonic sound to fill that space instead and see what happens there. And it like, it's just so like eye opening. like you can just, you know, have a sound and, and instead of hitting, you know, like 16th notes, like you just ring out a note and yeah. it's so more yeah. impactful, you know, in my opinion, in the right place, which is cool. It's fun to mess around with all that. So that I'm glad you brought that up because that reminds me of like my own bass player journey. Okay. When I first got into bass, I was in love with Red Hot Chili Peppers and Flea. <laughs> yeah. And that's a perfect example of a band that's like a lot of open space. Mm -hmm. and Flea takes advantage of all the space. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he is all <laughs> over the place. And it's cool. It's definitely it, it's a valid approach for some bands. Um, it's interesting, though, to like analyze and think about like what what is Flea doing and what's the sonic landscape? And he's focused all on what the notes are. Yeah. which is interesting and creative, but the tone doesn't really change. It's just basically I'm plugging straight into my amp. It's clean and the tone is coming from my fingers, Yeah, which is cool, but there's a whole nother world to explore what you're talking mm -hmm. about. Well, I can play the same root notes, but how can I change the tone of my bass to enhance different parts of the song? Like maybe what I'm playing stays the same, but I kick on a distortion here or an overdrive or a chorus pedal or even delay or other effects too. So I just love thinking about the different arrangement tools that we have at our, at our disposal, you know, as yeah. players. And I, you know, I, I feel like Andrew, when we were, you know, messing around with bands 10 years ago or whatever, it was kind of like this unwritten role of like, if you were a punk bass player and you had a pedal board, like get out, <laughs> you know, like, yep. what are you doing? Like plug your P bass into an SVT and, and just shut up and sit there, you know, and do your thing. Um, 
And, that is uh, hilarious. I get that though. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, for sure. Oh, dude, mm-hmm. I mean, I remember, I remember growing up like, man, if you played with a pick, you weren't a bass player, right? Like you'd get crapped on for it. And it's like, I don't know, man. Like it's just, he's kind of seems silly to me now, you know, looking mm-hmm. back at all that stuff, like kind of do whatever we want, you know, as long as, as long as it sounds good at the end of the day and you're like, whatever, scratching an inch of entertaining yeah. yourself or being, um, you know, like creative in some way. So mm-hmm. what's that? Dirt? Maybe that's been the greatest. Good. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. yeah good. <laughs> Sorry. There's a little bit of a delay, but, um, it's all right. Maybe that's like the best thing that came out of like the 2000s and the 20, the 2010s in music where all the genres just seemed to kind of, they've all blended together and everybody's yeah. taking each other's ideas, you know, and some people hate that, but I, I think it's a great thing for music. Yeah. Cause you've got, it is. you're, everybody's influenced by everybody else. So it's, it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely, man. And like, it's kind of weird. Like some of the songs or the genres that like have, kind of like set the groundwork for like bass players to use pedals and kind of and kind of get weird you know like yeah, yeah. It, like phil collins stuff and like you know like um tony levin using like an octave on like sledgehammer and shit mm-hmm. you know like that dude that's that's like mainstream the mo- one of the most badass bass riffs ever and it's like what's he using like a yeah. fucking weird like an octave pedal like what's <laughs> what's like I was like, yeah, what is that? Up. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, what is that? I, I'm going to get one. I'm, I'm, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For real. That's what it's all about. What's that uh, dirt pedal that you, you use all the time that I talk about? I don't, I don't. Oh, it's the, that's the same one, uh, Ben, you were asking me about the dark glass. It's the Alpha okay. Omega. Mm, yeah. It's good. I like yeah. that. Yeah, man. That thing is um, awesome. It fills up the space pretty awesome whenever I'm like doing a lead or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, they, I, I think like they've solved a lot of pedal problems for bass players, kind of built into one pedal where like they they do you know like essentially it's like I don't know like separate processing, so they cut the signal and yeah. like distort only the high end and then leave the low end untouched, so you still have your like bass, your your basis to you know like sonically what you're doing, and then just the top of it can get as gnarly as you want, but but the the bottom doesn't fall out. Like when you go to play a solo, Andrew, and like if I would we if we both kick on distortions, like the whole floor of that song would fall yeah. out. Where if you use that stuff, yeah, and you it. used to like there's used to be ways to get around it, right? Like you you know you could have a like a splitter pedal. And like send your, you know, your, your low end through that and like only distort your highs and then blend them back together and all this stuff. But it's like now you can just buy one of their pedals and a lot of other, you know, like yeah. any, any good bass player or bass pedal made today has either like, you know, some sort of low pass filter or a blend knob built into it, you know, but, um, those ones just seem to be, cause they do the separate processing. Like it just, it just, it's way better. It's like, it's like a step above, and, uh, I remember, yeah, it's a significant thing to touch on because before Dark Glass, like, it was so hard to figure out for bass players, like, what can I use to get something that's a little bit heavier? Yeah, that's not gonna kill my tone because there yeah. wasn't, there like wasn't anything. I tried a whole bunch of different pedals. Yeah, and it always was the same problem. Like, it felt like you can never turn it loud enough, even though it's like twice as loud. You kick it on, it's twice as loud. 
as your clean tone, but yeah. all the punch and low end is gone. And you're yeah. like, this doesn't make any sense. What is going on? So I got the idea to get a B7K mm-hmm. when I was watching a rig rundown from Carnival's bass player. Do you know the band Carnival? They're not touring or doing so much anymore, but yeah, yeah. They're, they're John amazing. Stockton or what's his? Yep. Stock, Stockholm or Stock, yeah. Stockman. Stockman. Okay. I, yeah. I always get his last name and I, I want to blend him and the dude from Muse together for some yeah, reason. Yeah. <laughs> Weston home or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I was watching a rig rundown cause he's got some crazy. Sounds oh yeah, dude. Um, and his rig was crazy, but I remember focusing in on, yeah, this, this pedal, I think he was using the B3K, mm-hmm. um, is doing a lot of my distortion. And, and I'm like, I've got to get that. Yeah. I've got to get the pedal. I got to get the Goliath bass tone that he has. Yep. And that's what, you know, I kind of invested in that before a lot of bass players were using it yet, but, you know, then like a year or two later, it was on every bass player's pedal board pretty yeah. much in the well, rock yeah. genres. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, I think like, you know, you had those bass playthroughs that kind of like went viral-esque on, on the internet. Like, you know, Nolly did like a bunch of weird stuff yeah, and, and, and what's, and, and the dude from that you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was kind of like this new crazy thing and everyone was talking about it. And, uh, you know, it kind of became like, oh, that's, well, you just use that if you just are in that band. And, yeah, um, yeah. I remember there was a video, I think, I'm trying to think who it was. It's, it's, I, I forget his name, but he's essentially like Taylor Swift's touring bass player. All okay. Right? I don't know who you're talking about, but, uh, sure, I think his name's a- Amos something. Okay. Anyway, he, he posted a video, um, and he was using a dark glass pedal. And like in a totally different way. And I was like, oh yeah. shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Like it, it's the first time that I was like, you know, all that other stuff I heard and was like, I'm not in a band that does any of that. Like it's fucking cool. But like, yeah. I would never turn that on in a band. And then I heard him play one and it was like, it doesn't just do that. Like, check this out. And you're like, it was this perfect, like, just like medium breakup, gritty, like mm-hmm. rock tone and i was like ooh okay like let's see what let's see what this is all about so that's what got me into it and then um that that was just like opening up the freaking rabbit hole then you know <laughs> yeah it's it's cool too because like us bass players we're similar to drummers in the sense that like i think a lot of bass players and drummers they're like just give me just give me something to hit or play like i don't care what it is like just whatever's cheapest or yeah. <laughs> most affordable or whatever versus yeah. a guitar player that's like yeah i've customized all my pickups and, mm-hmm. and i'm playing through these kind of speakers that i've modded and i'm like dude i don't i don't know anything i just have the custom or not custom i have the the stock whatever it is but but I think like those kind of pedals and things like the other thing that they did is like they got bass players to start thinking about well, what is in the signal chain, what is adding to the song and like how can you blend like the the sub lows from the bass. And the way I think of bass in general, actually, my philosophy is it's kind of the instrument that ties the rhythm of the drums to the melody of the guitar. Yep. And so it's it's a beautiful thing in that way that you're getting melody and rhythm out of it. So what can, what can you do with the sonic landscape of it to, to help blend it in in that, in that similar way. And I think that those playthrough videos and those people that start talking about it, yeah. they brought it into the mainstream. Oh, all of a sudden now, like you're, you have bass players with pedal boards yeah. that are as large as the guitar players are larger. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. 
um, and and the the isolation tracks of like famous songs, you know, that everyone's like chasing, you know, whoever's tone. Like obviously, like you know, Timmy C's from Rage Against the Machine, right? Everyone yeah. wants to sound like Timmy C back in the day. And then you lis- listen to an isolated track, and like you listen to the song, and you're like, yeah, he's got some grind going on. There's some stuff there, but like it's pretty clean. You listen to the isolated track, and it is way more dirty. distorted and dirty than you would have. And you're like, holy shit. Like I can really like lean into this because like you were saying, you know, like when you mm-hmm. crank it up in the mix, if you, if you level it right, like all of a sudden, man, you're not like getting buried anymore under walls of guitar. Like you're, you're, you're like staying in that glue stage between the the drums and the guitar. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's just, it was like pretty eye opening and like a whole new, like, okay. Like if I was not sold on playing bass, like now I fucking am. <laughs> yeah. You know, now yeah. it's just like another thing that I'm like, all right, well now I can like really dig into like a whole nother aspect of this, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> well, hey, uh, Ben, when did you uh, first get into music since, I mean, it's such a big part <laughs> of your life. Have yeah. you been playing your whole life? Man, it's, I have, it's been, it's been a big part of my life pretty much ever since I was born. And I credit a lot of that to my mom because she's still a full-time uh, piano teacher. She does a lot more than that, but she has like, she's full-time doing that and has like over 40 or 50 students a week. Oh, and wow. So she's ever since I was a kid, she was teaching specifically the Suzuki method, which is, it's a really interesting collection of, I was actually just asking her about it the other day. Cause I'm thinking of kind of, building my own curriculum because I've started teaching bass lessons yeah. to, to students. Yeah. And um, just kind of thinking through, uh, it's one thing to know how to play. It's another thing to know how to teach. Yeah. Because yeah. then you really no have to know how uh-huh. how you learned and think through like, how did I learn how to do this thing before? And how do I explain it to somebody else so that they can get where I'm at? <laughs> yeah. So I like the, I was asking her about that um, Suzuki method because they basically took a whole bunch of, the most classical, like, be- maybe not Beethoven, but, like, Mozart tunes, like, stuff from, like, actual classic piano pieces. Mm-hmm. And they structure them away through seven books. And each book is, like, a different skill level. And so you're on this trajectory of, like, maybe you're in a book for a year to two years, depending on, like, your speed of learning. But it's, like, a, it's a way of kind of leveling up your skill and theory and playing like in a very logical way, which gotcha. is, which is really cool. So not only was, you know, I, I was forced to be a piano student of hers whenever I was a, a kid, which I'm thankful for now. I didn't, I wasn't at the time. Yeah. Um, but I was also constantly around it because she taught in our, in, in my home growing gotcha. up. Gotcha. So I heard other people playing these songs all the time. And it's, it's kind of similar. I would say to like, um, you know, people that are bilingual, like kids that grow up in a different country, they like, they just are bilingual. They right. maybe it's don't even party, remember yeah. learning it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. literally awesome. anywhere, but in the United States, everyone's like, you know, yeah, like multilingual. Like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, but yeah, <laughs> in the in the same way, I feel like um, it just kind of got into me that way, um, with the uh, the theory knowledge and just having a a feel for music. So it always was a part of my life for a long time, but I didn't really find a passion for it until I was like a teenager because 
my mom was a classical music fan. My dad was into like country, which I never really liked that much. And but he just wasn't like a an arts fan or music fan right. in general. So it wasn't like right. He didn't have a record collection or anything like that. Well, then my friend showed me. I think I had to be like ten or eleven. He showed me this album by DC Talk. I don't know if you guys know who DC Talk is. It's like a religious, like punk rock ish band. Yeah, they were right? like. They had a they song called like, Jesus Freak. I remember that. It was that album. <laughs> oh, All right. Snap. That I don't album know anything about this. Me. Tell me more. Oh my gosh. So yeah. <laughs> so they were like the hugest of the huge like Christian yeah. bands back in the 90s, mm-hmm. I would say, leading into like the 2000s, maybe early 2000s. And it was weird because like I was totally isolated from this world of music because I just wasn't around it at all. And then I heard that was like my first introduction to like heavier guitars and stuff. Uh, And like I instantly like just had a something in my soul just like got awoken when I heard it. And so I've always just been like interested in heavier grungy music and it's it's funny how like i didn't care about music at all until that (laughs) moment and then i was like oh i get it i want to take drum lessons now and bass (laughs) lessons and now i'm really grateful for all the piano lessons i ever took it yeah it's just weird how like it just takes being i don't know just exposed to the right kind of music to find that passion for it but yeah that's what it was for me and then yeah that the light switch got turned on man yep so what so you heard that song or that album and what was like, you had the piano background. Yeah. Like, what were you like? I, I want to learn this. What, like what instrument was it or what? It like, was drums. What? Okay. My goal was like, I'm going to be the best drummer that I possibly can be. Um, and I was really serious about it. I was like, I can remember practicing sometimes upwards of like seven or eight hours a day. That's awesome. Like trying to get like trying to get really good at it, but I could in the summer because I was, yeah, I was only like 11 or 12 at the time and I had nothing else to do. (laughs) That's so cool. Um, Oh, dude. Can you imagine? Like (laughs) I didn't, I didn't start playing bass until I was like 18 or something. I can't imagine. Oh yeah. I, I took guitar lessons as a kid, but probably like too young. It's a whole nother story, but like. I don't know that I would have been ready for it, but like, that's like advice. If you could go back and tell yourself like, dude, start younger and like learn a little bit. And like, that's when you have the time to, like you just said to like, dude, you get home from school and it's like, I could just play for hours. Like, dude, I would kill for that now. You know what I mean? No. And you do. And on top of that, you don't have any other like responsibilities or work. Yeah. You just go to town. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so you're smashing was, away at drums. I'm smashing away at drums, and I was taking. That's another thing I recommend too is like find somebody that can teach you and and take like take private lessons or over the internet lessons. But I I definitely recommend that above just like buying an online course. Yeah, um, it can be useful, but it's so helpful to have like somebody there physically with you that says the way you're doing that is wrong. Do this instead. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was taking lessons from this guy, and there was this crossroad that happened because um, I was playing drums really seriously for two or three years. Never played in a band or anything. Just like jamming along the tunes and seeing like how close could I get to Joey Jordison's parts on like the first. Oh, yeah. I like, was like, my... <laughs> all right. 
So that was like my goal. And, you know, like I never could pull them off. Like your mom's like, is that a keg of beer? What is that? You're like, no, no, no. It's just, I'm going to, I'm going to smack it with a bat. It's, uh, there's no beer in it. <laughs> exactly. So, um, this crossroad happened where I was kind of trying to figure out, all right, like I've gotten to a certain level of like proficiency on the drums. How do I keep getting better? Cause obviously I'm not at this next level and mm-hmm. I want to be here. And it basically came down to my teacher telling me, well, from here, like you take all the rudiments that we've learned and you just like, you play them on every single drum inside out backwards and forwards. I'm like, oh man, I don't, I don't know if I have the motivation to do that. <laughs> it, it, that's what it was for me. And I don't think that like you'd necessarily have to approach drums that way. Um, Cause I, I think other people like they're just, they just play songs and they're great. Yeah. Um, but for me, that was definitely the crossroads. And I think around this time I had also started playing bass because I thought it would make me a better drummer to learn another instrument. Okay. And I think I started, I started liking the fact that on bass, like, oh, it's kind of like drums because it's so rhythmic based. I could do the slap stuff and the pop stuff, and it's really in the pocket. That's cool. But I also have all these melody options that you know don't really exist on drums. Yeah. Um, so I guess that kind of happened where I realized I don't know if I want to put in the amount of work it would take me to get to like a like a Terry Bozio level or you know, a Joey Jordanson or anybody else. I was like, I don't know if I really want to just like focus only on rhythm for that many hours a day to get to that level, but I'm really loving bass. So like I'll keep playing drums and I'll, I'll pick that up. And it was really weird how I played drums for like two or three years, basically alone in my bedroom. And then as soon as I started playing bass, I think it was like a week later, somebody's like, Hey, can you join? I heard you play bass. Do you want to join my band? Yeah. <laughs> and so like, it was like, and I think I was meant to play bass in that way. Uh, it, you know, the, the universe just brought it my way. Uh, but I never looked back after that and I've been playing in bands ever since. And I'm, I'm happy doing that. And I think I'm better suited as a bass player than a drummer anyway. So it worked out. That's right awesome, on, man. man. I mean, Andrew, when I met you, you were a bass player. Yeah. Right. Was that your first instrument? Uh, no. Okay. Oh. So you came from drums to bass too? No, I didn't start Guitar. drums until I was in my twenties. Okay. Um, my first instrument was a guitar. My brother had okay, okay. an acoustic guitar that I would mess with, but my first proper one was an electric guitar. And nice. I just like learned how to bang around on that thing with like green day and all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then my friend Mike and I started a band and he played guitar as well. And he was better. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll play the bass then. And I, yeah. fair enough, okay. you know, I like got a bass and we started a band and that was that. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I, it's I've, I haven't met many other bass players that started like bass right off the bat without yeah. anything in between. Like, I mean, I, I there's too many of us out there, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I took, I took guitar lessons and I'm talking like not a lot and I was pretty young and I don't remember like any of it. And I remember my guitar teacher actually, like the reason I quit was like, he passed away. He was just like this old guy. Mm. Yeah. And I was like, oh, like everyone, it was just kind of like, well, I guess that's done. Like we, we didn't like look for another, you know what I mean? I was like, well, that was the guy. All right. (laughs) You know? And, uh, 
that, that kind of shelved that. And then when I was in high school, I think it was like, you go to parties and stuff and all of a sudden, like, man, like all my fucking friends were passing around this acoustic guitar playing fucking Wonderwall and whatever Oasis songs and, and shit. And I'm like, all right. Then like people started getting some electric guitars and I'm like, if they're going to ever do anything, like someone's going to fucking need to play bass. So that's what that's like. That that's smart. why I grabbed it. I was like, smart man, Hmm. I'm already behind on the guitar thing. Cause I didn't, I like, wasn't playing at that time. I was like, you're very what? business. You're very business savvy. <laughs> yeah. You I was like, the, you saw the markets yeah. and you're like, there's a need here. <laughs> it's just like, well, if, if I'm the only one that does it, I could be in a couple of these bands. That'd be cool. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I got lucky in that sense. I never thought of it that way, but I just got lucky with it because everybody wanted to be the drummer or the guitar player pretty much. Yeah, back for then. sure. Yeah. And still do, I think in some ways. <laughs> I liked playing. Excuse bass, me, but yeah, I like playing it now more than anything because I don't mm-hmm. get to play it much. So it's just fun to pick up and run through Longview. <laughs> yeah. Here's some yeah. rancid, you know, That's a great song. Yeah. Yeah. Great song on bass. Good bass line. Yeah, for sure fun stuff it's weird as a bass player because now i've gotten a lot more into playing guitar being a producer oh yeah because i'm like helping the song write a lot and even tracking mm-hmm. guitar and it's weird not so much anymore but it was weird going from bass to guitar and kind of thinking through or hearing riffs and being like why are they playing single note chug riffs in this part but other parts they're like playing power chords it to me like as a bass mm-hmm. player i'm like I don't understand the thought process of like why to do either or, but now, now it's feeling a little bit more natural, a little different dynamic it's just a funny to it. Yeah. Yeah. Different sound. I didn't understand maybe that either. Like either. Of playing when I played in a hardcore band bass in a hardcore band. When I was first mm-hmm. learning the songs, I was like, well, wait, you're in the same position. What the fuck are you doing? And he like, <laughs> and he's like, well, I'm just playing one, one string here. And I'm like, well, what do I do then? <laughs> like, yeah, it was just so yeah, confusing. Exactly. So I understand. <laughs> I relate just opposite, right? Like, I was like, what is going okay, on? Okay, so I got it. Now that you mentioned that, I got a funny question to ask you because I got a, I got a interesting story or maybe not a story, but just the situation. Like there's this one gig I was playing a long time ago and it was one of those like. Well, there's this venue called the Corner Pocket in Blairsville. Yep. I don't think it exists anymore. Yep. Yeah, you know it. Oh, I know it well. Um, it was it's so weird because some shows there would just be like, hey, do you want to just play a show? <laughs> like yeah. Just random yeah. local bands, no tickets or anything, just randomness happening. And there was a band there. I don't even remember their name, but they had one guitar player, a vocalist, a drummer and two bass players. Whoa. And I was like, that is a bold move. All and right. the one and the one played with a pick, the root mm-hmm. notes, and the other just played the craziest slap bass lines the whole time. And it was a punk <laughs> oh, band. Snap. And I'm like, I don't know if I agree with this decision, but it's, it's yeah. a situation. So have you guys ever run into like a weird arrangement of a band like that before? In, in I, your... I wish I remembered that because I spent a lot of time there, man. <laughs> Uh, I actually did my senior project as a live music promoter and it was basically me. Oh, cool. Me just hanging out with Frank down there for like a couple nights and him just like signing off on all this paperwork so I could graduate. <laughs> That's the way to do it. I love it. I know. But yeah. I probably crossed paths with you before How like old are once you? or twice. Like, 
I'm 37 now. Oh shit! Yeah, you're older than me then. Okay. Yeah, I'm up there. Yeah, so then you definitely were at a lot of the shows that I was at, probably, if you're familiar with the Corner Pocket. Just a little familiar. I I wasn't there, like, too often, but if you were there all the time, I probably saw you. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's awesome. It's a small music scene, the Western Pennsylvania music scene. That place. (laughs) Yeah, and it's it's very intermingled. Yeah. Yes. You could be on one end of it. And we could be on the other end of it, but like, there's always, there's only so many places to play and only That's so many perfect. bands. So it's like, we all know someone from something. Yeah. You're like, oh yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But That's, I love that's it. the cool thing about the scene. I would say. Yeah. Uh, back to your question, man. I, I, I've seen like the opposite. I've seen a lot of bands like our bass player d- d- couldn't make it. So like, we're just here without them. And you're yeah. like, okay, that's weird. <laughs> you're, and you're playing with two guitar players. <laughs> I've yeah. seen that a lot. This is before, and you have to say, yeah, this is before backing tracks, or yeah. they didn't care for the backing tracks. Yeah. So exactly. there's just yeah. no bass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, some of this stuff was like as as recent as our our like record release show. You know, like Anton Ego is just like, ah, yeah, no bass player again. Anyways, here's all these weird riffs, and you're That's like, significant because yeah. they rip. All right, there's so much weird tapping. Yeah, because I know Anton Ego. I love this guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, that's what that's one third of their band. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It, it's still they don't acknowledge. I I, I love it. They kind of don't even acknowledge it. They're just like, hey, what's up? And they just start playing. And it and sounds like, all right, cool. That's, that's what blows me. Yeah. away. <laughs> love it. I, I feel like there's a lot of bands that have just like done anything like the bass player. They're just like, if they if they quit, they're just like, whatever. I don't yeah. know. Like, like. You know, you look back to like bands like Local H and they're like, fucking, I don't know, put a put a bass string on my guitar. I'll just do it. You know, yeah. <laughs> like what? <laughs> OK, <Yeah. laughs> like you really couldn't find anyone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you're just comfortable and you're like, we just don't want to bring somebody into the into the fold. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, but I, I, totally I, get. I mean, I have I have been in like whatever, like jam room situations where like there's been two bass players noodling around at stuff. Right. But like mm-hmm. never, ever like, okay, this is like, this is rehearsed. This is their thing. <laughs> they wrote these songs with two basses. Like, no, no, no. I've never seen anything. Just like sounds that. like that, was, that would be awesome. That yeah. was pretty. Yeah. That was pretty. It was a pretty wild experience. <laughs> yeah. I will say that. That's so I, cool. I was bummed that like, you know, talking about, bands playing without um members um i got into periphery a little bit late and by the time they were coming back through pittsburgh i'm like oh man i can't wait to see nolly you know just jam these riffs Mm -hmm. that was whenever he decided to go full-time producer and Uh, he wasn't he wasn't touring with them anymore and i'm like oh it's just not the same i want to see the bass player playing the bass riffs and so that was a big bummer for me even though i immensely enjoyed the show and was kind of mind blown a little bit by these songs are harder than like any songs of any band I've ever seen live. And it seems like they're not even struggling to play them at all. Like yeah. more so than even the simple, the simplest songs I've ever seen a band play. Yeah. Those oh, are that, super talented. It's wild when you see that stuff, man, when you're like, how do they do this live? And then you watch and not only are they just like effortlessly playing the riffs, they're like, freaking out on stage spinning around and you're like 
is there like a curtain that I need to like get behind or it's like, is there another yeah. band back there? Like actually playing, like what is going on? And it's like, it, it isn't man for some of them. Like they're just that good at like rocking out like that and nailing that shit, man. It's, it's, it's crazy to me. Maybe that's, maybe that's a symptom of like, I'm just saying about me in, in particular, but like when I was growing up and um, like first getting into bass, like I put, I put all my energy into it and I didn't practice bass every day as much as I did drums, mostly because I was getting older and had, you know, more things to do or more things I was interested in. But like I was putting a lot of time into it. I was practicing at least yeah, two hours a day, two, four hours things. a day. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I can play pretty much any Red Hot Chili Peppers song. Like I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty badass at this. And, but like, you're a, you're a big fish in a small pond and, yeah. and especially coming from, you know, I'm from Derry. You guys are from where Johnstown, which is even bigger than like Derry is, but yeah. Yeah. Like whenever you're when still you're, small town, you know, it's still small town. And like, you can get a, I won't say that I ever had an ego about it, but like, I thought I was pretty good. And then you, <laughs> then your mind gets open a little bit as you like expand your horizons and you play with more people and mm -hmm. maybe you go on tour and you're just like, there's actually a lot of really good musicians out there that are, even better than me and they're all half my Asian Asian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it just humbles you a little bit to, to kind of see that. And, and going along with that, um, I, so I, I had an opportunity. I'm very grateful for this to play on rock on the range. One of the last years that they had it, I think that was 2016 or 2017. And the headliner that year was red hot chili peppers, who I'm a huge fan of. Nice. And we played Friday afternoon. They were scheduled to play Saturday nights, but we had another show to go to. So we were going to leave like in the afternoon, but I heard them doing the sound check and I'm like, well, I've got like a VIP pass. So I'm going to sneak over and like watch them do their sound check. Cause this is really cool to hear the songs without Anthony Kiedis on vocals. Like you don't hear that very often. Yeah. So I sneak over and I'm not really sneaking. I got the pass. Like I can yeah. go over, but like I, I don't want to kick be kicked out either of a big band's like rehearsal time either. So that's why I say sneaking, <laughs> but I'm like heading over there and I'm like, man, they're playing blood sugar, sex magic. And they're just, Oh, they're killing it. It sounds so good. And I poke my head around the corner to the stage and it's all, it's none of the band members. Oh it's shit. It's all, all of the their fucking roadies. It's the tech guys yeah. playing oh, it perfectly. I couldn't what? tell it wasn't the band. Oh, I'm like, oh, man. I was mind blown. <laughs> That's so crazy. Mind blown. I love that story. That's dude. Those like props to those guitar techs and, and just like in general, because the more you're like in and around live events for like big, big bands, you see that like someone's sick and yeah. you're like, who's that guy? And, you know, and then like, eventually it's like, oh, you know, whatever guitar player sick. This is uh this is Jim. He's our, he's our, actually our guitar tech. So he's uh, let's give him a round of applause for filling in. And the dude just nails it, you know? And yeah. you're like, like what? Like when is he practicing this? You know, like yeah. <laughs> he's setting up, he's like fixing everything. Like what is happening right now? Yeah. How's that even possible? But yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird thing. Well, when you're at that level, like, you know, those are the most coveted roadie positions Yeah, and I'm sure they 
pay pretty well. So you're going to, there's a lot of competition for that. So just by default, you're going to get the most talented musicians there. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, that's like a thing, like the second you have that job and that opportunity presents itself and you're like, I can't. And it's like, all right, well, like we got to find someone that can, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's a whole nother level. Like you said, like you get humbled by it and it's a good thing, you know, right? Like it is. Yeah, you, you do. Sometimes you play some shit or you'll play a show and someone's like, dude, you fucking killed it up there. And you're like, ah, right, fuck. Yeah. Then you, I mean, you could go see any band anywhere in the United States at any night of the week and get humbled. You're just like, what is this guy fucking doing? Yeah. You know, like where did he come from? And like, fuck, I need to go back to school, you know? And yeah. it's, it's, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it's good and bad. It's, I guess it just depends on your like mentality with it, but I'm always mm -hmm. like, I always try and use that as like motivation and get some like, you know, like, all right, well, that's cool. I'm going to like try and do whatever the hell that is. Right. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I think, I think it's a good thing to get, <laughs> to kind of get your, uh, get your, uh, whatever, eat a plate of shit <laughs> in front, yeah, you know, in front yeah. of someone that like is crushing it way better than you. Totally agree. And I think along with that too, um, talking about mindset again. So when I was getting into rock music, I was so influenced by the classical background I had. And that is all about like, you play the piece exactly as it is and you, and you're not done until it's perfect. Yes. Mm -hmm. And what, that's a great mentality to have. And I think like it's made me a really good musician, but when it comes to rock music in particular, that, that medium is more about expression than it is about perfection. Yeah. And I think that's something that I had to learn maybe the hard way, or it took me a little bit longer to learn it. And, and, you know, through some experiences, one of which was I played a show where my rig didn't work for half of it. I was having some issues and you just feel like you feel like shit yeah. afterwards. You're like, I didn't deliver like these people paid tickets and I couldn't play the part. And I had these kids come up to me afterwards and they're like that was the most sick bass performance i've ever seen and the way that i took that was like a humbled way of like it didn't matter when i wasn't playing all that yeah. mattered was like the show and the experience yeah. and yeah whether or not i have a good time i can't let that get in the way of me have letting the fans have a good time yeah for sure man uh that's a that's a great way to look at it and it's hard you can get distracted in so many different ways, right? Like yep. what guitar are you playing? What drum set do you have? Like how much was it? And yeah, it's just kind of like, man, I don't know. All that stuff is just kind of for like the other musicians, right? Like it doesn't really fucking matter. You know, yep. like you just said, like your shit, it wasn't even working properly. And someone was, was like, no Dude, that, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know? And it's like, you could have been up there with a toy for all they know. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, but like, again, you want to put on a good show. Like you do want to do your best. Like just think how much cooler it would have been if it was working. Right. But like, you know, kind of taking that stuff aside and it's like, you know, all the gear and whatever flashy shit in the world kind of like it's necessary, but only to a certain extent. You know what I mean? Yep. It's just a vehicle to, to, to embody your creativity and get it out there into the world. Really? Yeah, exactly. Finding your voice, you know? Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, um, you know, me and Andrew talk all the time about like these like affordable guitars and we're in like the the perfect time for like you could spend such little money and have such an awesome experience, instrument right playing now. experience too. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. Which is really cool, man. Like it, it wasn't always like that, you know? No, no, it definitely wasn't. One of my favorite bases, I still have it. I don't have it out right now. I'm trying to think of where it is. Oh, I gave it to my my sister. She's taking bass lessons from me. She has it. I, That's awesome. I, I paid um, two hundred dollars for it. It's one of these OL, OLPs. Yeah, Do you remember that? I had one. Yeah. They don't make them. They don't make them anymore. Yeah. But I love the way that it felt. And yeah, all I did with it is I put a a Seymour Duncan pickup in it nice. to, to mod it up a little bit. But I just can't. I can't get rid of it. Is it the four string not one? another instrument out there like that. Yeah. Yeah. What color? It's that blue flake Ooh. sparkle. I, I had the black one. Yeah. I always wanted the blue one, but it was like <laughs> a later model. They didn't make the blue when I bought mine. Uh. I got le- I got lucky. I tried to buy. You know, the one the one thing with the cheaper instruments, and yes, to your point, you can get awesome stuff out there for cheap. I tried to buy another one, and it didn't feel the same. Yeah. It's hit and miss with the cheaper it, yeah. stuff. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. And, you know, like there's some brands that do it better than others. But, man, there's there's definitely some hidden gems out there right now that are like so sick for for such a little cost of investment. You know, it's pretty wild. Um, yeah. So what so you're playing bass in bands, right? What got yeah. you into doing what you're up to now? The like the the back end, the producing, the. Uh, like audio side of it. Yeah, good question. So I was, I don't even know if you guys have heard of this band. They've been around locally for a while, but I don't know how active they've been, but the name Big Atlantic, does that ring a bell? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was one of the founding members of that all the way back in like, that's like 2006. Me and and Lee Caruso first started doing stuff together. And the way we met was a really funny story because- I grew up and lived in Derry and he grew up and lived in Latrobe. Okay. And we had never crossed paths up until 2006 when we were both like 22 years old. Okay. And the way we crossed paths was I had just like committed to like, it's so crazy how like the, I don't know. I, I It's so crazy how like whenever you commit to the path that you're meant to, to follow, like, everything just falls in line maybe not forever but like it's like god out there is telling you like yeah this is the right way like keep going that way you know just that little nudge that you need uh to, to help you get through that because backstory real quick i went to college for chemistry actually oh shit all um, right not because i loved chemistry yeah. but because i thought that like i got to go to college that's what you have to do and I'm gonna forget about music and i gotta get a, a real adult job and I don't know what I want to do. Hey, chemistry is okay. I'll just pick that. So I got my degree and I graduated and I got a nice job. And almost as soon as I started working that, I was like, man, I hate this <laughs> so bad. <laughs> Which is such a, it's such a shame though, because yeah, it's such a shame though. And like, I, I could just go into like railing on our education system and how it's so backwards because I feel like if they would have just shown me what a chemistry job was like in college, just for like an hour, I would have been like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this at all. Yeah. But like school was so far removed from what my job was asking me to do. Like mm-hmm. you're like, Oh, in school, it's cool. I get to, I get to like sit and sit and listen to lectures and learn about really cool things. And then like for a day job, they're like, just do the same thing over and over again for eight hours for five days a week. And it's just like, uh, I didn't know I signed up for that. Um, so right around this time, 
um, I had like, you know, I was really having that internal dialogue of like, man, I feel like I, I grew, grew up and had to let go of music as a childish thing, but like, mm-hmm. I feel like I made a mistake and like, what if I could have done something with music? Yeah. I'm like having this internal dialogue a lot and I'm like, I don't know what this means. I don't know what to do with that. And I was reading this book called the dream giver, which is like a parable story. And it's all about like, it's all about basically you don't have to make the decision between one or the other. Like life is part of the journey of figuring these things out and you never get there, but that's what life is about. It's about having a destination and going towards it. Yeah. And not about like arriving somewhere and feeling like I've made it. Right. Um, so I decided after, you know, finishing that book, I'm like, okay, I got to start on the journey then. And I was like, if I'm going to be serious about this, I got to buy like a professional instrument. If I'm going to be a professional player, I got to stop being a cheap ass and buy like a (laughs) professional instrument. So I went, I went to guitar center in Monroeville and I picked up and, uh, I don't know if I still have that bass that I got, but I picked up, um, an Ernie ball four string stingray and Ooh. plugged it in through a like a ampeg or a mesa rig. Yep. And I just cranked it and I went to town for like an hour or two hours just to see if I really liked it or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I was done, this guy comes up to me who happened to be Lee Caruso and he's like, you're a sick ass bass player. Where did you come from? <laughs> which is like, which is like the only time that's ever happened in a guitar center. Normally it's like, I can't yeah. believe this. Turn dude it. Is Can you turn player. that down? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we met and we were like, wait, you live in Lake Trobe. I live in Derry. How have we never crossed paths before? And we had all, we'd been playing music live since we were teenagers and just never, it's just so weird how that happened. Like, cause it's such a small area. It should have happened, but we never crossed paths. And he's like, I'm in a band right now, but I'm actually like, what was his band called at the time? So he was filling in. I think he was only in it for like a month or three months. He was actually hired as a lead guitar player for time and distance. I don't know if you remember them. They were like Hmm. a punk pop band Mm -mm. that actually had some pretty decent releases. Nice. Okay. I'll have to check them out. Um, You should look them up. They got some decent stuff. Um, I don't know if they're still around or not, but he's like, I'm in this band now, but it's not my thing because he's more into classic like prog rock. Okay. And he's like, I'm thinking of quitting and doing my own thing. I just need the players. I'm like, all right, I'm I'm down. Let's do it. Um, yeah. So we started doing we started doing that thing, and we went and actually visited that band. They were their headquarters was in Virginia, and we talked to their drummer. He's like, this drummer in this band is like, we need to recruit him for our band. Okay. Because <laughs> apparently they auditioned at on the same day and got in the band at the same day, and um. He was really into the pop punk stuff too, but like he was really, he was a really good drummer and also like was really into Incubus and Rush and like all the proggy stuff too. Sweet. And he basically went to him and was like, Hey, this is a cool band and like you're touring and stuff like that. But like if you want to really play like what you, what you really want to play, like the proggier stuff, like come and join us. And so he thought about it and he's like, Yeah, I'll make the move. And so he moved to Pittsburgh and, and then we formed the three piece. We, wrote and arranged a group of I think it was 10 songs. And then we went to, we recorded the, the bass and the guitars at our house. And that's where I first was like kind of exposed to like 
um, studio production because yeah. Lee was really into it and getting into it. And that was at a time. So that was like around 2006, 2008. There's like no information online right. about like yeah. studio stuff. Right. And it was all cryptic. Nobody knew what they were doing. Um, yeah. And so a lot of those early days was just me and him. And a lot of it, you know, I credit him. I was along for the ride because for the longest time and even at that time, I never had any interest except for writing songs and playing bass. I'm like, I'm just the player. I don't yep. care about how the gear works. I just want it to sound good and and understand it enough to make my bass sound the way I want it to sound. Um, so a lot of those early days was he just he was a really good networker and he had a lot of friends in a lot of different places like the studio guy in New Jersey and a few Nashville contacts. So we literally would just like I would save up my vacation and then we would just take a week and go to our friends' studios, hang out there and just glean whatever information we could and try recording some tracks. And then, you know, through a lot of like learning trial and error, we were like, this worked, this didn't work. What kind of gear do we need? And and we invested in buying some studio gear for the band so that we could track the, I think what it came down to was like, Going and recording at a commercial studio was like, it was doable, but it was like, that would be really expensive yep. for what people, they didn't really have home studios back then. Right. Or yeah. I think, I think people, I think people were a little weary on trusting. Can I really trust a home studio? Yeah, absolutely, man. You Like it's, it's at his house. Like, well, yeah, that just was, wasn't what does a he thing. have? Yeah. You're like, uh, you know, some of those places like could be fantastic but like yeah at the time it was it just was not as like acceptable as it is now yes exactly so i think our thought process was well what if we just take like what if we just spend a few thousand dollars to get some gear so we don't have the time pressure to record these 10 songs in a studio on guitar and bass yeah then we'll just use that studio time to do lead vocals and drums yeah smart move which i think was a super smart decision at yeah the time. absolutely and it gave me, it gave me a lot of time as a bass player. It was a lot of fun actually. To, I was like pre-proing my ideas out for the songs and also recording final takes like at the same time, and I didn't have to worry about like doing all of that and performing in the studio. So mm -hmm. yeah, that was kind of my first like intro to that. And simultaneously, I spent so many hours just because we lived in the same house together, and Lee would be working kind of like. And a setup very similar to what I have now. Um, I'm sitting in front of my studio and he would just be working on things. I didn't even know what he was doing, but I was just watching him like navigate through a DAW and like do pre-production and record ideas. And me just literally sitting in like a chair here watching him for hours and hours. And it was weird because then a couple years later, the, the prompting for me to get into it a lot more was I started getting frustrated at band practice where I would take my bass ideas there mm -hmm. and I would show them to the band and then the song would transform into something completely different that I didn't want it to go that direction. Okay. Yeah. And I was okay with that sometimes, but other times I was like, I, I actually had like a more fleshed out drum idea in my head or melody. And it got frustrating to me that the song kind of would develop before I had a chance to explain that all. So I was like, I need to learn how to flesh out my ideas a lot better before I even take them to the band. Yeah. So that they don't, you know, so they don't fly off in directions. I don't want them to go. And that's where I kind of started getting into it. And 
pretty quickly I started realizing, man, I think I might actually like this a lot more than even playing. Um, you know, for various different reasons. One one of which is like, man, I can work on like new songs like every day. It's it's different than playing in a band where like we learn the songs that we have, we get a group of them together, and then we have ten or twenty or whatever, and then you're writing to your own. We sounds, just play those same stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And then we like just play those same songs all the time. I'm like, well, with studio stuff, like I can be writing stuff all the time. And it doesn't always have to be for my band. It could be for like other bands or for side projects or for my Mm -hmm. own thing. And then I was like, well, then I can also like help other people and record them too. And I just really love the idea of like constantly working on something new. Super interesting to me. Um, And I think also too, like, you know, looking in hindsight, um, I'm pretty evenly like left and right brained when it comes to like the math and the science and the, engineering while also being a very creative person um and i think that it really suits the the studio stuff to be like uh proficient at both of those you need the creativity and also like the technical know-how and um just seems to suit me really well and i enjoy doing it and i enjoy i i almost enjoy like helping a band flesh out like a song idea and making it taking it to a level that they didn't even know it could get to yeah I almost enjoy doing that more than I like writing my own music. You Hell know? yeah. As much as that's fun, it's 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 really rewarding for me to kind of be a part of the process with somebody else. Well, it's an important part of the process. I think at some point, like um I I, I think that's such a cool like concept that like you you could hand you any instrument and you're like, why don't you try this? Or like Let's yeah. see how this sounds in a, a whatever, like whatever you have going on. And it, it like, it's such a, it's such a weird position to be in. Cause it's like, you know, pe- these people are trusting you with their, with their ideas, with their songs. And yeah. like the moment you can kind of like help guide that in like a better direction and everyone's stoked on it is such a cool, like experience to be r- around. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got to feel like super rewarding, like in a bunch of different ways, which is cool, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It is a, it is a bunch of different ways for sure. Um, I, I'm going through it a little bit with this one project I'm working on. Um, I'm in the middle of like editing a ton of tracks and it's kind of like the, the kind of rewarding that you would get from, and I'm not an MMA fighter, but I imagine it would be similar to like, I always imagine like doing this stuff is like getting in a boxing ring with like Mike Tyson. Okay. Cause it's so hard. And like <laughs> a lot of days you feel like you get the crap beat out of you because yeah. you're just like a, a lot of days. It's just like a new, it's a lot of problem solving. Yeah. And you're like, I don't know what to do with this guitar tone or this vocalist has a, a weird tone in his voice. And I've never, had to I've never had to fix this thing or the microphone we used has a weird resonance because it has I've had this happen before the microphone we used this weird has a weird resonance in it because it has a, a metal <clears throat> um, pop filter and the pop filter was resonating with the sung vocal part <laughs> and now I got to remove that from it because it's annoying me and yeah so you're you're doing a lot of these things in the moment and it's like those growth pains of like trying to figure out a new problem constantly yeah but the reward on the back end is like, it's so unbelievably euphoric to be like, 
I just went through that and I made it sound awesome and they're stoked on it. Like that's so much better than just doing something that's easy. (laughs) Yeah. So, so yeah, it's definitely like, um, it's ups and downs, but I think that the, the ups definitely, the rewards are definitely, they're, they're greater than the the downsides of it for sure. That's awesome, man. So like, this is all right. Now I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to use this as a time to ask a person in your position, some stuff that I've always wanted to ask someone. Yes, please. Like, so, you know, like we'll get to pet peeves, but like, what's, (laughs) what's like some advice to give, like, all right, me and Andrew want to come to you and we want to record a song. Like what, what homework should we have done? Like what, where should we be at for like all three of us or like whatever, like the band and you to succeed in, making a kick-ass production and a kick-ass song like what's the best case scenario like is it us come in and we're like this is it dude and we're not changing it like and it and it either rocks or it doesn't or is it like i don't know (laughs) like you know anywhere (laughs) from like we kind of have some stuff or like this is it and we just want you to like record it like what what's your like what would be like a dream scenario for you with a with a band you really want to work with that's a great question, man. Um, I'll try to stumble my way through that. I've got some <laughs> ideas. So the first thing I would say is I, I deal with this a lot with my own band and it's frustrating to fell because I don't, I don't touch our material. Mm-hmm. We outsource all of the production and mixing, I think for the best. Yeah. Cause they're a little bit picky and that's fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> but with a couple of different releases that we've done, um, there have been some mini meltdowns in the band when we got the first mix back Mm -hmm. and I, I kind of played and I'm glad I was in the band at the time that this was happening and was able to be the voice of reason and saying, guys, it's not screwed up. It's, this is really good. It's just maybe not what your vision was. So we just need to communicate what the vision is better and get there. Cause it's not yeah. like he's trying to screw us over. Right. He's doing the best job and he has his own vision for the song too. So I think with that being said and kind of going through that, I would say whenever you're going to pick like a, a producer to record with, like think through as a band, why do you want to pick this producer? Because I, I definitely think that as much as anybody advertises, and I've seen this before online and I try not to do this myself, where they'll just say, I can do any genre from rock to hip hop to, to metal to country. Like I can do it all. And maybe they can do it all, but each person has their own set of ears and preferences and they're going to make you sound a certain way Mm -hmm. because of how they work and how they hear things. So I would say like, it's good research to go and look at a producer's portfolio and kind of see like, what do things sound like? What is it? And if you have questions, that's fine. Be like, um, Hey, we listened to your portfolio and this is what it mostly sounds like, but we're this kind of band. And what would you do with us? Or what kind of vision? Just because like, it doesn't make any sense to go to somebody that like produces bands that sound a certain way and then be upset whenever like you get something back that sounds exactly like that. That only makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I think that that's like the first thing is like, think think through more important than anything else is like the sound of the productions more than anything else so once you decide on like that then i think it's 
only then should you move forward with, okay, let's talk about the details, like the pricing and, you know, what recording looks like or yeah. any of these expectations. Um, the second thing I would say is like, if at all possible, I think that somebody in the band, uh, whoever already knows how to do some home recording or production. And if nobody knows that, um, any somebody in the band who has the most interest in it, like really take the mantle of like, okay, I'm going to learn this and, and do a little of my own pre-production. Yeah. Cause that goes a super long way to being like prepped to go into a studio. And it also like, it can facilitate a lot of pre-production that can happen off offline. Yeah. I mean, I mean online, but I mean offline in the sense of like not being in the same room together. Cause one thing that I love to do and I've done before is like, I'll build whole sessions of songs. I actually did it with this last band that I recorded. Um, cause they were having some issues recording their own pre-production. They just sent me a cell phone recording. So what I did was <laughs> I, and it wasn't going to be an option cause they had gigs, gigs booked already. It wasn't an option for them to come in early. So what I did was I built an entire MIDI session of their song, like, MIDI drums, MIDI guitar, MIDI bass, just to kind of have pre-pro for them to come in, for them to have something to play along with because we were in a, a really crunch schedule. Um, you know, and I'm kind of saying this in retrospect, but the lesson from that is if they would have had somebody in the band that could have recorded some, it doesn't have to sound perfect, but in time demos yeah. Yeah. of all the ideas that would have been so valuable for me to have because one thing that I love to do is just kind of give some feedback because I'm pretty good at like understanding music theory and like coming up with ideas on like harmonies and vocals and stuff like that. So it's really nice to hear the songs ahead of time. Cause sometimes I'll just like to listen to them for a week yeah, and yeah. see what kind of ideas like pop into my head. And I think that like, if a band doesn't like that, it's no sweat off my back. Like it's their songs anyways, but like I want, I'm incentivized to make the songs sound as good as they possibly can be too. Cause it's a part of my portfolio as much as it is a part of the band's catalog. So I'm looking for every opportunity to make them as good as possible. So the more stuff I can get early, the better um, to, to be prepared and just throw out ideas or even be like, Hey, in this chorus, like, your drummer's playing a 16th note on the hi-hat and I think it might be cool because all the guitars are really ambient and clean with a lot of delay. What if you played like some kind of eighth note rhythm on the ride cymbal? I think it would kind of fit the vibe a little bit more. And so yeah, pre-production is a big thing. Um, I would say, yeah, I was kind of um, spitballing a little bit there, but no, that's, awesome. dude, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. This is what we want to hear, man. This is great. Yeah. But I think, I think, um, that's just me personally and, and my workflow. So yeah. take from that what you will. But I think maybe a good question is like, ask your producer about, you know, what does pre-production look like? Do you want to do pre-production with us? Mm -hmm. And I think it's okay to tell a studio up front, we really just want our songs recorded. We don't want really anything added. Um, it's really good to have those conversations up front. And I'm getting better about like, having those conversations with bands, like every project I do, I think of something new that I can ask, like, uh, like, do you want me in that songwriter role with you? Like if songs aren't completely fleshed out and you want somebody that can help you with that, 
have that conversation. Like we're really looking for a producer that can help us with songwriting. What do you think about that? Cause all that, all that stuff, um, that's important with like royalties and stuff like that too. Like who's going to take credit for writing what part of what songs or whatnot, or yeah. hey, this producer added a significant amount of material. Is he going to ask for any royalties on things? Or- he snuck that one lyric in there. Is he yeah. going to want rights for it? <laughs> yeah. You know? And that should all be, that should all be talked about upfront. I think it's really shady to ask for things after the fact. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but things happen though too. Like, even if people aren't malicious, like sometimes it just, you forget to talk about it in the moment. So it's just good to have those conversations yep. ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, go ahead, Andrew. I, was gonna say, I appreciate the, uh, the honesty, man. That's awesome. Because yeah, I man. Mean, yeah. I don't know. I feel like we really didn't know what to even, when we recorded our EP, we were just like, Hey Tim, what's up? We're going to record this stuff. And <laughs> yeah, he's like, do, do you want it to sound like this? And I'm like, yep let's make it sound like this and like it's kind of like that do you want it to sound like a band yeah, like yeah. The next, yeah. next time around i kind of like i don't know i want to <laughs> do more i don't know more time with like yeah studio tricks almost i guess not studio tricks but like just yeah. like filling out the song a lot yes you know? i don't know i know i know totally what you mean well it's hard for bands too because like I won't say it's a frustration, but it it's a it's a communication barrier a oh, lot yeah, of times. Oh yeah, for sure. Like when you when you're starting to learn how all the production works behind the curtain, mm-hmm. you understand how much uh, you start to understand how much room you have to take a song in any right. number of different directions. Right. Whereas a band, a lot of times they're just like, well, it's just the song. I'm just yeah. playing my guitar. Well, and I like, didn't mean get, to like it up. sound like I was talking <laughs> shit on Tim. I was just saying like, we, we weren't thinking <laughs> no, no. about that type, I wasn't thinking that type of thing at all. Like we were just like, yeah, let's record our songs. Yeah. Like, I totally got your, you know, what I, I mean? totally got what you were saying. Yeah. Cause I think almost every band is like that unless they have somebody in the band that is a producer as well. Yeah. And or, that's totally that's, fine. Yeah. Or someone that's like kind of, made it up to a certain level of recording or, you know, whatever you want to call yep, it. Like or had some experience. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, listen to even big, big bands talk about like, you know, their third album is the first time a, a producer reached out to them about pre-production. Right. Like, right. And, and you're, you're thinking in your head, like, well, like we don't need to do that then. Right. But like, I mean, I think there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of just like oh, man. information yeah. that isn't out there. There's no book on like, here's how you do this. Like you, there's there might a producer. Be now. There probably is. Yeah. There but might like, be now. I just bought it, but there um. you go. <laughs> but, but yeah, like, you know, we're not thinking like, all right, we need to go into pre-production. Uh, you know, this guy's going to be our engineer. This guy's going to be our producer. This guy's going to be like, you just, you're just in a fucking band and you're like, I just want to fucking yeah. record these songs, yep. man. Like, I don't know. Someone tell me what to do. Right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you're like, okay. And, and you're that's... not, you're not wrong for thinking that either. I think that is the producer's role. Um, and I think that the better, the more experienced the producer is, the more, the more, uh, the more he'll be able to handle taking a band on that journey. Cause that's yeah. kind of my goal as well. And the more I've worked with bands, the more I've kind of realized like, Man, the more I understand or or know about like how a band can market their releases, the more valuable I'm going to be to them. So now I'm thinking about things that aren't even 
related to studio production. Right. Yeah. I'm just wild. thinking about how I can help my band, you know, because all of that stuff comes back to to me eventually, even as far as like, okay, you want to release in April. We should record these songs at least three months ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. So you're think you're thinking through all those things because there is a there is an album release cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, absolutely. That people follow, and it's just good to it's good to set goals and like try to stick to them as much as possible and, and think through that. So maybe that's another like take home too for people is um, start researching ahead of time. You know, like it it's better to give yourself time to like reach out to a lot of different people and you know have conversations with people. I would be really weary of going into any place without having a face-to-face conversation with anybody or yeah. like doing a studio tour. Um, not, not necessarily even that like it couldn't work out well, but like I would just want somebody that's that personal, yeah, you know, that wants to talk to me mm-hmm. about yeah. them and their music. You're going to be, you're going to be hanging out with them for, I tell bands expect two days per song for recording. Yeah. If you're doing an album, that's 20 days. That's a lot of time you're hanging out with somebody. So uh, it would be nice if you liked them yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Oh, for sure, man. <laughs> yeah. A good thing. And, and, um, you know, just having a general vibe, like, yeah. is this, is this like, exactly. Like it's easy to, to hang out with someone for an hour or two, but like, can, can we really get into the weeds with this, this person and find ourselves out of it on the other side? Like productively and like we all succeeded, like every, we're, everyone's like yes. happy with the situation. Um, so yeah, that's That's great advice, man. Thank I think there's a lot of like us include, like I'm sure us included like bands that need to hear some of this yeah, shit I need to, to help this out kind like, of stuff for sure. Cause I'm yeah, like, man, I don't know what to I'm do. Trying to... Right? It's like, I, I kind of feel yeah. like that the studio we recorded at Tim does do production stuff, but early on I was like, I think the songs are good, man. Like we produce them us three ourselves. Like, I kind of just want you as like an engineer type thing. And he really just like took that role. And he's yeah. like, all right, man, like you, you take control. Like, yeah, let's, let's do this. And I'm just, <laughs> yeah. I'd yeah. be excited to just try and work with somebody else. So it's very intriguing, you know, like you telling me, I'm a, you mm-hmm. know, it's like insider baseball stuff. It's like, it makes sense. Right. If you're going to be like, if you are in that like writing type of producer relationship with an artist, like you, you definitely want to yeah. be on some sort of good, like oh do i like this person can i connect with them like on mm-hmm. a human level before we go on this like artistic journey together like it's pretty cool yeah it's it's interesting and i appreciate you guys asking me questions because i like talking about it so um one one another inside baseball uh thing that i've experienced is i actually changed my studio name because i used to go under Dreamloud studio okay and then i changed it to benjamin hall audio productions Cause I had this revelation that was, I used to get solicited to do a lot of projects. I didn't have, have any care to do. Right. Or they were just like, Hey, I'm, I'm a hip hop artist and I can record 20 songs a day. I only have $5 though. Yeah. And you're just like, dude, like you wasted more, you wasted more of my time and money clicking on the Google ad that I had right. than yeah. you're ever going to pay me. <laughs> so you know, that's just, it's not a good match. And I started realizing, you know, I'm advertising myself as a studio. And what do people think about when they think of like recording, a studio. recording studio, right. go in, record, they think stuff. of like, yeah, 
yeah, yeah. okay, I'm going to pay this person an hourly rate and I'm just going to get my stuff done. And I'm like, well, that's not the kind of business I want to run from my home. Right. I don't have a commercial studio. Like I have, um, I have some partnerships with other studios that I could go in and record, but I want to advertise myself as a producer. And almost as soon as I made that switch, I stopped getting solicited for the projects I didn't want. Wow. So, so even getting, just the name change. Yeah. Was, Cause, cause it, it kind of puts people in that headspace and that's why you'll see some producers just kind of go by their name because yeah. for that reason, it's like, Oh, I want to build, it makes so much sense. I want to build a brand that is myself. So then I can kind of do whatever I want with it yeah. and people will start they'll get that name recognition for it's kind of the same thing as Nolly. It's like, Oh, I say Nolly and I know yeah, people you have instantly t- know what kind of productions yep. you've got a sound in your head for sure. Versus, versus like, if I say studio, people who don't know my name are going to think like, Oh, it's just another studio. Like I'll just find the cheapest one. And that's yep. always kind of the problem. If you're a no name is like with studios in particular, cause you're going to get the bottom of the barrel people that are just like, what's, well, what's the cheapest one in my area. Right. And so it's just kind of interesting how presenting yourself out into the world like makes a huge difference for the people you run into. And the whole reason why I brought that up is just kind of like I've come to a place like where I first when I first started, I was like, I'm just going to record anybody that I can because I need experience. Yeah. But you get to a point and I think it should be this way where like I only want to record the projects I like and the people mm-hmm. that I believe in. And if somebody comes to me that like has music that I don't like, it doesn't mean it's not good, but has music that I don't connect right. with. I'm happy to say, I don't think I'm the best fit for this. I think you should go here, here, here. And then we all win. You yeah. know, I don't want the artist to record. I don't want to have a bad time with the artist and have them lose out on recording with somebody that's really digging their stuff. Yeah. Makes sense. So, and I think that's the way it should be. Yeah. Good advice, man. Not a, yeah, that's a great attitude to have towards it, man. Like you said, I mean, you're you're when you're first starting out, it's gotta be tough to say no for the first time. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. But but it's also gotta be kind of like, you know, like eye opening, like, holy shit, like okay, like, I, you know, I, I'm in a place now where it's like, I'm fucking know what I want to do. And it's not that, you know, nothing against whatever that is, but like, you know, and, I, and I'm sure like the yes that was after that, you were like, I'm, th- I'm like in on this and I'm stoked that I'm not doing that other thing. And fuck, yeah, we can move on with, you know, whatever the, the project that you're, that you're in on. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. That's cool, man. Yeah. 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 I think so too. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm I'm in the process of like I'm kind of building up my YouTube channel slowly. I've actually like been doing just random. I'm calling the music producer reacts and trying to give some more thoughtful like insight on productions of songs that I like just to get some traction with doing yeah. it. Mm-hmm. But my my goal eventually is I want to demystify this stuff, um, especially when it comes to like all of these different phases of production because we you know we talked briefly about like pre-production and like what even is that and like yeah i could describe it as one thing and some other producer could say well it's this um so there's a lot of that there's but i would consider like you've got the phases of like your songwriting and that could be with a band or with a co-writer or producer and then you've got pre-production and then recording and then editing and mixing and 
post-production and mastering and what are all of those things and and what do I need to worry about each one of them? Can I get away with doing some of those things myself or yeah. or how many of each of those things can any one person do? And so I eventually want to like release some more materials, whether that be in blog format or, you know, on my YouTube channel, kind of describing that at least in the ways that I've learned. Cause it took me years and years of researching this stuff to just kind of make up my mind about it and even, you know, wrap my head around it. And I think that that information should be out there, you know, for people to know that should be, that should be free information. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you said, it's, it's, you talk to, you know, 10 different people and you're going to get 10 different answers. So there's like, you know, I think, I think the more people actually devoting like some structure around it or advice and education around it, the better. Right. Um, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, like you said, like even just talking to different producers and getting to know people like, you know, maybe there's a way that works for you and it doesn't work for us. Like, okay. Like when, when I say pre-production, this is what I mean. And that's not what that guy thinks. So like, maybe we should keep, keep searching for, for someone else, which I think is cool. Um, because it is, it's, it's fucking confusing, man. I don't know any of that. Like I, I I have a very basic understanding of it, but I'm, someone could tell me I'm totally wrong on, you know, whatever it is. And also like as a band, what do we need to be there for? And what do we not need to be there for? And like, how do we communicate through all those layers of like, these are our fucking songs, like what's happening and like, what do we (laughs) need to do? You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) okay, you're mixing it. Like, yeah. do I need to be there? Do we all need to be there? Like what, what, what's going on here? You know? Yeah. I like, I'm going to take that as a question. Cause I'd yeah. love to answer that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so man, those are great questions. Um, for the mixing thing in particular, I know my preference is I do not like to, the band members to be around while I'm in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, but like, I will say though, like if it's just finishing up some things, if there's like some discrepancies about like, I've got a final mix out and we're do- going through revisions and it's like, I can't quite decide on this one thing or not, then it's fine. Mm-hmm. If people want to come over, I'm totally fine with that. But the mixing process can take so long. Like yeah. it's, any- it's anywhere from like, I would say like four to 12 hours, depending on the song and like how much difficulty I'm having with it or not. And do you really want somebody looking over your shoulder for like four to 12 hours while <laughs> nope. you're just like messing with a, with a snare drum tone? It's like, I get self-conscious about that because I don't yeah. want to be wasting people's time. And I like to talk to people. I don't want to tell people to shut up right. yeah. and go away. So there is that weird thing of like, you know, and a lot of us engineers are, I don't know, we like, it seems to me from a lot of the engineers that I've talked to, they're all they're all introverts. So they all like kind of struggle with having like interpersonal communication in general. They're not just like the life of the party. So yeah, I I know for me, like when, when it's a long studio day, sometimes I'm just thinking like, I really wish like everybody would just, we could just be done for the day. So I could just work on this in peace and quiet. Yeah. (laughs) It's part of the, you know, it's part of the process. So, uh, it's totally fine to be uncomfortable. Um, you know, for a little bit of time. But I, I just bring that up to say that, like, I think some studio guys, like, maybe they don't know how to communicate that. Instead, you're going to get these weird, like, moments where the band's just sitting around and the producer's just looking at the screen and you're like, I don't know. I don't know what's happening and nobody's talking to me or telling me what's uh, dude, happening. Yeah. Right 
I've been there. And you're like, should I like, did we fuck up? Should we not be here right now? Like, I'm going to, I'm going to go, uh, like Andrew, you want to do you want, like, what do we, I need to go outside. You know, you're like, yeah, what the fuck I think is he that, doing in there, I don't know. <laughs> so I think what's, I think what's happening in those situations and I've been there too, man. Like when I recorded that album with big Atlantic, I wasn't, I was basically just there because mm-hmm. I already had my bass parts done. I did some harmonies, but not that many. And it basically was like a week of being around and me just sitting on a couch, like just watching them just like click on a mouse and do stuff. And I yeah. had no idea what was happening. Yep. Um, but I think what's happening in those situations is like, you know, the music industry isn't as big as it was anymore. There's not as much money to go around. So everything is downsized. And what would have been the job of like three people has turned into one person's. hundred percent. Yep. And so with that, like what would have happened before is you record, let's say you record drums. And then while you're tearing down drums and setting up drums, the, the head engineer, he's going to be in charge of like, okay, we just got finished doing drums. Like now we're going to set up your bass rig and get tones. Well, then there's an assistant Mm -hmm. that's taking that to the studio B room and he's editing all the drums and just messing with that for two hours and a lot of home studios. And I'm just now getting to the place where like, I'm looking at assistants to, to bring on board. But, um, a lot of one man operations, it's like, well, that drum editing has to get done before we move on to bass. So there's this awkward hour or two of just editing in silence that is happening. (laughs) And that's what's happening in a lot of those situations. And really, I think in those moments, you just need to say, all right, guys, like I just need an hour or two, you know, to do this editing. So go get lunch somewhere Uh, or go, go do something. Um, Yeah. We've been told to go get lunch like three times in a day. Uh, one of my old bands, we recorded, uh, our, our EP in a studio in Orlando, Florida. And we had one week, like a Monday through Friday. And we like, we slept in the studio. It's like one of those situations. So like, yeah, you're stuck there with all these people. And like, I have nothing to do, but I'm sitting on that fucking couch, right. (laughs) Where you're just like watching someone click away at shit. And I'm like, this is cool. Yeah. Not knowing if I'm like a burden bothering, like, should I be there? And that, you know, and then it's like, we just politely get asked like, you guys, you guys hungry? And I'm like, yeah, they want us to get the fuck out of here. Okay. Yeah. 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 I'll I'll go. Am I recording (laughs) bass today? No. Sweet. Let's go to the fucking bar or something, you know, like I will get the fuck way out of your way. (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting. I've, uh, I brought that up to bands a couple of times, just, just as far as like, you know, not every band member has to be here on every day, like all the time, unless they want to be. Yeah. yeah some yeah. band, some member, band members are like, no, I want to, I want to see what's going on. Or mm-hmm. I, I just want to make sure you don't screw it up. Yeah. Which, which is totally fine. But sometimes I'm like, especially for the vocalist or the bass player, honestly, it's funny because like, you know, I am a bass player, but it's like the easiest instrument to record. It takes the least amount of time. It's the easiest to not screw up. So yeah, the, the bass player has the easiest job in the studio <laughs> yeah. of, of getting things done. And then you're just like, you're just chilling, man. You're chilling for days and hours. And I hope you brought your switch because there's going to be a lot of sitting around. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. But, I, but I'll tell people like, you know, you don't have to be here every single day, you know, if you don't yeah. want to be. So there's there's no sense in you being here if you don't need to be or want to be. So Damn. I think that's a good well, conversation to have too. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, there, there's like a lot of young bands that like recording for the first time. Right. 
it's like an event and I don't know if it's like glamorized. There's, you know, every fucking punk band, their first album has a DVD that used to come with it. And it's all behind the scenes shit of like recording and goofing off and partying and blah, blah, blah. And then that's like the expectation. And then you get there and you're like, I'm just sitting on this fucking couch all day. Like where's, where's like, cause, cause that's not, you know, it's like maybe that was their experience, but like, that's not normal. Um, and it's not like to be expected or should be expected. Um, so yeah, again, it's just like, you know, like if someone would have taken the time to be like, Hey guys, kind of like, this is a rough outline of like what we're going to do and like what I need from you, you know? And it's like, here's kind of like what to expect. Uh, I think like, man, that would go (laughs) such a long way with so many people to be like, and and, like, yeah, knowing that now for, for producers to do that, to, for bands and and even yeah even as a band now like that's something i'm probably going to ask like hey okay like how many songs are we doing that's all on us like you know we're, we're doing five songs um you know here's here's how many band members we have here's here's like what's going on with it like what does that look like in a realistic outline like what what where's our time going to be like when do you need us when is going to make sense for us to not be there to, for you to do your thing so that we're like not essentially wasting anybody's like physical time, you know? And, uh, I think that's probably like, like something I'm definitely going to take away. Like the next time, like, all right, like what's the plan here? (laughs) You know, like, all right, cool. (laughs) It's it's super smart to have a plan. Cause then also on top of that, like it, it can be easy to forget parts. Like I had to, um, there's this local band space weather. That's really awesome. They're, they're another prog band from Pittsburgh and, Great name. They're, mm-hmm. Yeah. Really cool name. Their vocalist guitar player, he recorded with, I forget the guy's name. He's super famous. He's done a lot of great albums, but he his studio's out in Seattle. And he forgot one phrase on the album. And so he had to come over here to record the one phrase for me to send it off to him to do it, which was, you know, that was kind of fun. And I was honored that he like came over here, you know, and chose to work with me. Yeah, that's um, cool. Which was, yeah, which was a lot of fun, but like, Um, just, just in saying that, like, if you don't have a plan or don't have things written down, it can be easy to forget like everything that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So it's, it's really good to have a plan. And, and, you know, even like you said, the editing thing, um, you know, like that prevents so many issues. Like, like you said, going through the drums before you do the bass, going through the, like step-by-step making sure that like you didn't miss something before all of a sudden, like the drums are torn down and you know, like the bass is set up and all of a sudden it's like, Hey, like I used to play this part this way, but it's not feeling right. Like what's going on with this drum right here. And it's like, for whatever reason, something's messed up and you're like, well, you know, I mean now it's a couple clicks and you can, you can, you know, fix it, uh, you know? Yeah. But like, my point being is like, if it's something bigger than that or like whatever, it's like, well, that's shit that should be figured out before you move on to the next thing that like, I'm not going to think of that. You know, yeah, Andrew's, I- Andrew's not there. Like, Hey, let's, let's listen to everything here meticulously. You know, like again, that's, you know, that's the producer's job that we don't know that that's their job, but that's cool. I, I think the nightmare situation for me would be, and I was really worried about this actually happening with the last band I recorded. Um, <clears throat> but 
the nightmare situation is, let's say like you record all the songs and you're, you think they're done. Then the vocalist goes to record and he's like, something feels wrong. There's, there's one less measure in this part than needs to be for the vocals to work. And none of the instrumentalists caught it. Yeah. And I was really worried about that happening because I had no pre-pro vocals for one of the songs. Uh And I think normally it's so weird to, you know, I don't mean to pick on drummers or anything, but it's weird to me how often I've been in bands with drummers where like they are completely lost unless they know what the vocal is, Mm -hmm. which is hilarious because as a bass player, I know where I'm at in the song from the drums. Yeah. But, but like, the drummer's so clued into like the vocal and playing off of that, which is totally fine. But it it's stressful sometimes when you're thinking about, okay, I got no vocals in the song and I hope that the vocalist catches it if something's off or the drummer does, but what if they both don't? Yep. And then everything's done. And then I got to copy paste the section. <laughs> to make yeah. up so is that where like, uh, you know, again, is that like good pre-production stuff to have like, whatever needs to be done, like a click track, scratch track, like with vocal cues, like all that stuff, do your homework before can like help, help make that stuff less stressful. So like no one is going to miss shit like that. That's cool. Exactly. You know, let's go into pre-production a little bit because, you know, we've talked around it a little bit, but I'll describe what I think it is. And then you guys can tell me if that makes sense to you or what you, what you thought of it. And yeah, cause I'm thinking of like going forward to have a mandatory at least half day with bands in the studio doing pre-production. Um, and that's either at my place or at their practice space. And the reason for that is cause I could take my mobile rig or if they're here, then they can just plug into my system. The goal with pre-production is I would say twofold. It's to have like really quality demos with scratch tracks of every single main part in the song. Um, like maybe not every single lead, but like rhythm, guitars, bass, drums, vocals that are recorded in time and recorded separately. So each one can be soloed and isolated if need be, um, and sound pretty decent. Yeah. I would say that would be the goal for having, for getting pre-pro done because there's, there's something along with, there's something that happens whenever you like record something and listen back and you're not playing that you hear the song in a way that you've never heard before. Mm -hmm. And I think so many times, and I've experienced this in in my own bands where like you're in the jam room jamming and you're like, man, this is so awesome. And you're playing the same part, maybe sometimes for months. And then it's finally recorded that you hear it in a different way than you've never heard before. And then you realize I want to play something different or I can do this different. And so that's why it's so important, I think, to go through that process, not just as a producer, but with the band. That way I can give them feedback and say, this is how I feel about this and this. And now you guys can hear the songs in a way you've never heard before. And you might have ideas that you've not had before. And you could take an objective look at it for maybe the first time. Um, That's really cool. Yeah. But just doing that ahead of time and, you know, even my idea for it is like that, that would, that's almost like a great, like introductory period to like decide if you want to work with somebody or not is just like have a pre-production day because what's the worst that's going to happen out of that you're going to have some like pretty decent demos yeah 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 and then you get to work together a little bit um and i'm thinking like 
it could be any amount of time before the actual studio day, but like a month beforehand. So you have time to like listen and reflect on things and whatnot, but then it's all done. And then from there, whenever you come in and set up the drums, then you already have that stuff done. And then yeah. you just play along to it because otherwise you have to take extra time before you even record the drums. We got to, we got to make sure we have pre-pro yep. and scratch tracks of every single instrument. And that's going to take some time. You know, it's going to be faster than recording the final takes because probably what I would do in that situation is I would just have somebody play through the song and then I would go, I would go through probably by ear and just cut at the start of the, the beat where each guitar part's playing and quantize it to the grid to make sure it's in time. Yeah. And yeah, it's going to sound really weird and there's going to be some like weird, like pops and clicks, but at least it'll be in time. So the drummer can play it in time. You know, that would be the quick and dirty way of doing it. But I would I would say that, like, that's what I would do. But I, f I feel like it's a good goal for somebody in the band to learn how to do that and just be like, go to your producer and be like, hey, this is already done. Check them out. This is our demos. Yeah, that that's so really what I was definitely... getting at this time around, to be honest with you, is I was like, mm -hmm. OK, these are like basically i was just like okay these are my demos of the initial idea at the put together the best that i can put them together yeah like what do you guys think what would you add that kind of thing yeah that's great yeah yeah dude it's 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 wild i've i've never been in a band like this but i mean he sends me like full songs yeah uh, and like you know it's so wild today that like you're doing it on your ipad and i get this thing <laughs> that i'm like this is better than like my first band's like paid professional recording, <laughs> you know? And it's like, and he'll send me two tracks. Like, oh, here's like with whatever, just some bass I put in it. And here's like a blank slate. I took the bass out and I can just loop that. And, you know, if I want to add shit to it, send it back to him, whatever. Or just like, I mean, like we're doing pre-production for band practice, essentially, you know, yep. like I'm listening to this shit like, all right, because, you know, it like, it's always going to be better the more time you have with something. So yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. The other, the other benefit of it too, uh, this has happened to me so many times where, and it's mostly in those situations where the bands are just playing it in their practice room. Okay. The song's together or, or even sometimes playing it out live. Let's take it into the studio. And I listen to the bass player get up there. Sorry to pick on bass players, Dude, but the bass player it. gets up, plays his part. And I'm like, that's not in the key or that's not what the guitars are doing. <laughs> yeah. And nobody heard it. Nobody heard it because it was in a loud practice room and he couldn't, yep. he couldn't tell the difference between what was happening. So that's another reason to, to put things down and, and solo them. Cause then you can, or have them separated so they can be soloed out. Cause then you could be like, something sounds weird in here. And then you listen yeah. and you're like, yeah. Oh, that's a different, that's a completely different riff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Hell yeah. So well, man, we've uh, gone into a lot of recording talk. I think, <laughs> yeah. Before, sorry. I no, mean, it's kind of my it, life. No, now. it's great. I, I love it. I know. I know oh, that's, that's awesome, your life. Man. It's it's awesome. But knowing that you're are you are a player and you're a gear person, yeah. Uh, I definitely want to know yes. your like dream rig, your desert island. I guess maybe <laughs> not desert island, just like your dream rig. Okay, man. I uh, should we put a, a, a money like... cap on it or just like no, no, no. Every, dream, here's here's dream so rig, right. Yeah, dude. The the story of like 
what's his name? Chris, the guitar player for Foo Fighters shows up yeah. and Dave Grohl's like, how many guitars do you have? And he's like, I kind of just one. And he's like, <laughs> let's go get you some shit. And they just like Dave Grohl's credit card. Yeah. Anything yeah. you want. Like, let's let's just go like, fuck. Yeah, man. Yeah, what do ben, you want? You, you like, got the gig for Foo <laughs> Fighters. Dave Grohl says, Ben, I'm taking you down yep. the guitar center a little, buddy. What, <laughs> what are yeah. you getting? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll add some things to it, but I think in some ways, like I already have my dream yep. rig. I'm <laughs> so I'm so happy with how it sounds like. And I did get lucky in the sense that I play um, Music Man Stingrays. I have for the longest time, or at least that style mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. of bass. And I just lo- love the way how it felt in my hands. And I also got lucky with it sounds pretty much the way I want it to sound as yeah. well. Um, but the combination of that through Dark Glass B7K and my Mesa, I got an M9 carbine, which is a, a tubed head that they don't even make anymore. Ooh. And I'm never getting rid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even know Mesa made bass amps, honestly, until I saw this one. And it just has the the perfect gritty uh gain it's the tubed gain i guess yeah uh to add to like a stingray to just make it work in hard rock it sounds perfect for hard rock stuff um i'll add the only thing that i added to that that i think is like really helpful as a bass player is also they don't make them anymore which i don't understand why because it's awesome but i have the dark glass super symmetry compressor pedal i love that sucker because for one thing i love having a compressor as the first pedal in the chain to kind of help even out the tone. And then that goes into the distortion. That way you get a more consistent level coming out because otherwise if I pluck really hard, cause I play finger style, if I pluck really hard, um, it's going to hit the pedal with more gain. So it's going to be more distorted. And if I play really soft, it's going to be, um, less distorted, less signal going through. So compressor helps the, yeah. So as a bass player, like you don't need that as much as guitar because it's got so much distortion on it already. It's yeah, already really compressed. compressed. But as a bass player, I think it's helpful, especially for the pops and slap stuff I do because I don't want that to jump out in a bad way. Right. Uh, yeah. If, if you're doing any kind of slapping, man, like that's it's it's almost like a must-have as the compressor at this point. Yep. And, and you can and if you dial it in right, it's crazy how good it can make that sound. You mm-hmm. know. I think I think a lot of people like probably work on their slapping technique and like yep. have have just like, you know, a, sh- a shitty setup for it. Right. And they're like overcompensating with their playing style or something when really it's just like, you know, honestly, man, that's like the one time where a compressor is like that's its fucking job, you know, is to like, yeah, keep everything, you know, right in a sweet spot. And, and it really just like light, it lights it up, man. It's great. You're, you're so right about that. Um, the idea, I got the idea for the compressor from Billy Sheehan. I bought an instructional DVD from him and he goes to the extreme with it cause he does so much tapping, <laughs> but his tapping is the same volume as the rest of his playing. Yeah. But that's because of his setup and how much he does. He doesn't want the volume to drop off. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that's freaking crazy. But that's exactly the reason well, especially for his setup, because he's not even running through like a dis- like a distortion pedal, like maybe a Sans amp, but just very lightly, like it's mm-hmm. all in the playing and the gain on the amp itself. So that that kind of opened my 
eyes to see like how that could be really helpful and leveling out the dynamics in rock music, especially like you want it all to be loud. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my, that's kind of my dream rig there. Um, the only thing I would say, it would be nice to have, um, it would be nice to have a ding wall base. All right. They're really cool. They're, they're really cool. Um, I, I still think I prefer, I think, I think a music man is a more well-rounded base. It can do like anything. And and dig walls like they're like a futuristic. They're made for like gent and and metalcore. Yeah, Um, I like how they feel though. My one buddy has one, and the fan frets are like crazy awesome, and it actually makes it like way easier to play. Uh, Uh, That was my next question. I've I've never played fan frets. I want to know what's up. Yep, it's awesome because like I thought it would be a weird adjustment, but. Maybe on guitar it would be because then your finger shape would have to be a little bit different. But on bass where you're mostly playing single notes, maybe some mm-hmm. double stops, it's I was able to adapt to it immediately. And the thing I was shocked about is the interval stretch is actually less. So you yeah. don't have to stretch your hand as much to to play the same things. And the the ding walls are made they're a super high quality bass. I actually I got lucky when I was playing with Lacey, I got an, an Ernie Ball deal. So I get, I get like 40% off instruments, Ooh. which is like killer. Yeah. That's um, sick, man. So I can't, it's hard for me to pass that up. Yeah. But if I had to pay full retail, I would go, I'd go with like, I'd probably not get a stingray. Um, just because I think that they're like, it's the same thing as Fender. Like you're paying for the name brand at that point. Yeah. Not that it's not a good instrument, but it's like, oh my gosh, like twenty twenty six hundred dollars for like a stingray that really hasn't changed in design at all for like mm-hmm. 40, 40, 50 years. Yeah. Versus like, okay, or I could spend I don't know how much a dingwall is, what, eighteen hundred to get yeah. a dingwall. It really just depends on the style of music you're trying to play or, or whatnot. Right. But um yeah, so I'm pretty I'm really happy with my rig right now, but uh you know, I'm not going to say I'm not going to buy another bass or get more. Since gear. we're talking about Ernie Ball, um, are you a fan of that yes. NXPX? Yeah, okay. I am. I don't. I'm not like. I had to ask. I'm not super. I'm not super deep in their catalog, but okay. like, yeah, I've heard some albums. Yeah. The 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 yeah. Stingray always. Rem- are they still around? Oh, are they dude, still playing? Yeah. The yeah. the album they wow. released like three years ago. It's probably their best album ever. Really? Yeah. 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 I'll have to go listen. Yeah, now. I'll send you a link. And he plays he plays bass for Goldfinger now when they tour yep. too. Oh, okay. Which cool. is cool. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Well, that's the other thing I wanted to mention about my rig as well. Um, because I've played through a bunch of Ampeg rigs, and I know that's like the traditional that's mm-hmm. the traditional bass rig. Yeah, yeah. And for me, I always had trouble with like the Ernie ball being so bright, too bright through an Ampeg. Mm-hmm. And the Mesa was really nice because it kind of has a more, it's more mid range focused. Okay. And so like the Ernie ball is so bright that like it kind of helps take, I felt like I was just ripping people's heads off when I was doing the popping through an Ampeg yeah. rig like that. And maybe there's a reason why like you have like Fender J and P bases going through Ampeg. That's probably the sound. Yeah. Whereas like. Maybe the Ernie Ball is just it's maybe it's the active pickups too. It's just too hot for that tone. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, well, that's why that's why I No, you're right, Mesa. because all the the hoppest stuff on a Stingray 
just doesn't sound mm-hmm. the same or it doesn't I don't know. Like he it, it almost seems like he used the P bass, went to his stingray, but never changed anything about his amp setup. And then went back yeah. to the P- uh, you yeah. know what I mean? I, like that kind of thing. I always sense. just thought that like maybe I guess it's dude ranch. There's a bunch of it. You can tell the difference, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're a nerd like us, you're like, Oh, there's this is a P bass song. This is a stingray song. Yeah. <laughs> but like yeah. I don't know. I, I I've always dug I, dug the stingray sound. Me too, man. Uh, now that you mention that, I my mind Im- in, immediately goes to the producer. Like, was Blink One Eighty Two such a big band that Mark Mark Hoppus is just like, I'm playing the music, man. I don't care what <laughs> I don't care what you want. It's on this song, and the producer's just like, okay. pay me a hundred thousand dollars. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, you, you I don't do know what, what kind want, of. <laughs> money they had back in dude ranch era but like by enema of the state he was playing all hop or like uh p bases or the hoppus bass or whatever so like yeah yeah all the stuff that everybody knows the jerry finn blink 182 like that's yep p bass buddy well you got to think too like wherever they recorded that at like they didn't have a P bass laying around for him to grab right you know like mm, like in your defense right. like couldn't the producer have been like listen man why don't you just try this? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, just try it with this. See what I happens. Guess, you know, <laughs> I know this is like in the pop punk weeds, but freaking uh, MXPX <laughs> is like a rarity to have that like uh, Ernie Ball sound. Like, I don't know. Usually like 99% of punk bands that we grew up listening to <clears throat> use a fucking Fender P bass. Like, I know. it's, And, and I mean, there's nothing the wrong standard. with it at all. Right. It's like the standard. It's for a reason. <laughs> But like, well, it, it's pretty cool that it, it's it's people use it. It's stingray. wild, even like, not even the stingray, but like, if you see a fucking jazz bass, you're like, Ooh. oh, like the dude from the Bouncing Souls, yep. right? Only plays a jazz yep. bass, and you're like, uh, okay, you know, like that's fucking sound. awesome, yeah. And and it is, man. Like, it's it's wild. I have both, and like, you know, you you pick up the P bass and play it, like, and it it sounds. I don't want to say better. It sounds different. And like, you're like, Oh, that's like how this should sound. But then if you really play his lines, like he does them, it immediately is like, it just doesn't have that, Top end. that, that like, yeah, that scoop yep. that a, that a jazz bass does. You grab the jazz bass and you start playing like his little digga, 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 ding shit. And you're like, fuck, there it is, man. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to do it. You got to do it with one of these. It's interesting too. I wonder how much of that, especially in the punk scene, like that's that's more your guys' scene than it yeah, is in even scene. mine. But I I wonder if a lot of that is like, because punk is so much around. It's built around like the the relationships of the players. I feel like they're all best friends in every <laughs> yeah, single right. band, more so than like being qualified musicians. Yeah. So yeah, I wonder. Sure. How, I wonder how much of it is like the main guitar player songwriter has all the instruments in his house. And it's just like, all right, Joey, you're our best friend yeah. that is least musically talented. <laughs> you're playing so you're bass. playing bass. <laughs> and a, a P bass is what I have because yes. it's most affordable. Like, yeah. how much of it is that, right. though? Right. Yeah, dude. And, they just, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, you know, the most affordable, best sounding Hell yeah. bass at the time. For sure. Yeah, man. A hundred percent. You know, and it's like back to what we were talking about with instruments these days being affordable, like. 
you can do whatever you want now, you know, like that's probably yeah. why, like you see a lot of weird stuff happening now. Like, you know, like you're right. Like uh, 10 years ago, you'd see punk bands and it was like P bases. That was it. Mustang you go see bases. a show now. It's like, and it's like the Mustangs, like, Those Oh yeah. Huge. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the Ernie ball, the music mans are coming back. Yep. Fuck. Thunderbirds are like starting to be back. Oh yeah. You know, like anything's possible. It doesn't fucking matter anymore. You know, yeah. no. it's wild. Um, I'd love to like, I, I think there's a lot to be said about like a blind, like just ear test mm-hmm. of like play the same riff on, you know, four or five different bases and have some of these people pick which one they like the best. And yeah. I think people, I think a lot of people would be surprised at what like their ear is drawn to versus what they are drawn to based off of whatever preconceived notions yeah. of, of the music. Another thing you have to keep in mind too, I think is that we're also influenced by every, all the music that's come before it's yeah. developed your ear to the point where, to the point where like per genre, you're like the bass should sound like, like this. this. Right. Yes. Even if it sounds even if you could say to like aliens who've never heard earth music before, pick the best bass tone, pick the tone that's most like (laughs) that you like the most. Yeah. Uh, They might pick something completely different and say, this is objectively the best bass tone and everybody on the internet would hate them. And And guess what? It's a Hoffman. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It raked them over the coals. Yeah. Just because they're like, it's me. Every every punk. (laughs) Yeah. Paul was right all along because <laughs> every every punk album ever has been recorded with a P bass. So you're just expecting yeah. it to sound that way. So it almost has to sound that way in the future. Yeah, Which for sure, a, man. An interesting thing, too. Oh, dude, it's been fun, man. I yeah, uh, man. a lot of fun. I don't want to take up your whole damn night here. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is you know, great. We, we... Thank you for coming no, on. Thank you. Great, man. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah, man. Thanks. Thanks for being so honest and giving us like a little insider baseball on like your role in the, in the music world and kind of like w- what goes on there. Because, um, I think, I think it's good, man. I'm, I'm, I appreciate the honesty. I appreciate the the advice. And I think it's, it's really good for a lot of people to hear this stuff, uh, especially like new bands, first bands, bands going to record for the first time. A lot time. of our like, friends. Just like a lot of our friends and a lot of people, you know, may probably listen to this, yeah. right? Like, you know, um, so I think that's awesome, man. I really appreciate it. It's been fun. Absolutely, man. It's, it's, it's been my pleasure. And, and I think things will only, as far as the information goes, I think it'll only get better with time. Like, I don't yeah. know why, I don't know why for so long it was so hard to find out studio information. Like yeah. whether it was just, there was nobody talking about it or people were holding things close to their chest, but I think there's a lot of people talking about it now and, and it will become clearer as time goes on where the good information is coming from and people yes. go there more often. So, yeah. And I think it's, I think there's a lot of like resources now that are doing it justice for people more in our position. Like yeah. I think, I think there's been a lot of stuff out there where it's, and uh, I, like this is, I'm not talking shit on like Warren Hewitt or or whatever, but like he's in, he's in a, a million dollar studio. That's actually, try- that's actually the book I was showing earlier. I'm not here to promote this book, but it's yeah. his book that I bought. <laughs> but like, I, you know, I, I've watched a lot of his stuff. Like how do you record bass? And it's like, he's in a million dollar studio with like this huge, you know, and it's like, 
I'm not first find a first find a tape machine from 1973. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and like I give him credit. He's done videos on like here's how to do it super basic, but it's like, okay, well maybe now you're like kind of going a little too far back, but like yeah. I think like earthquake devices that do those studio tours and let people just yeah. kind of like walk around their studio and bitch and rant and like just yeah. talk about shit like those are so informational for me because they're like they just point to something and they're like all the bass sounds come out of that and it's like just some fucking amp you know and you're like did you guys cool. see the it doesn't the death it. by audio one? Oh yeah oh, oh my god i haven't oh my god you gotta watch it the earthquaker uh, shows <laughs> your junk and or studio tour whatever they call them but yeah the, the uh, death by audio one is pure gold yeah, it's, it's awesome. That guy's that guy's a, awesome. a, a legend, man. I fucking love him. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, dude, thanks. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, man. Man. I, mean, I feel like we could keep going on and on. But uh, we, I think I think we got enough in the weeds and out of the weeds to, yeah. to call it. <laughs> for sure. I think so, too. Yeah, it's, it's been my pleasure, guys. And, you know, why don't you go ahead feel free and to ask me back? Go for, ahead and plug uh, your, your stuff, man, your business or whatever you're, you're up. Yeah, to. sure. So my main thing is um, my audio production business, which is Benjamin Hall Audio Productions. Um, my website is benjaminhallaudio.com. Uh, you can reach out to me through Facebook, Instagram, all Benjamin Hall Audio. Um, I've got a website. Ben- oh, I already mentioned that. Um, I also play in a band, Nafel. Uh, we're a Pittsburgh progressive instrumental band with vocals only very on the very least of occasions. Um, but we're working on new music now. I think we've got an EP planned for maybe at the end of this year. I don't, I don't know if we're going to release singles or it's just going to be an EP, but right on. if you're into stuff like Polyphia or Animals as Leaders, it's kind of up our alley. So okay. go, cool. go check awesome. it out. Yeah, and we'll link all this stuff in the notes oh, so sweet. you guys can, yeah. can click on it um, instead of having to write things down. We'll make it easy for you. And uh, yeah, man. We've been foremost and uh, yeah. Thanks for, thanks for listening in guys. Yeah. Thanks for coming, Ben. Awesome. Thanks. Peace, man. Thank you guys. Thanks guys.